You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. We're right. That's right. We're doing it. Football, MWR.com. Joined by good old uh, buddy Matt over there. Hey, um, 2 and versus American Conference. Conference supremacy, right? Do I get credit for reverse jinx? Always. We're going to get to that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, two bowl games. We'll talk about that. we got the Boise State coaching search, which is uh, – we'll see when it gets trapped up. But, yeah, we're, we had a good Christmas. Was your um, December 25th uh, festive and full of fun? Yes, it was. As much as it could be. Same here. Not mm-hmm. too bad. Um, I watched the movie Soul earlier. That's what I was doing before we recorded. That's a pretty good movie. So check it out if you have Disney+. Plus. It's a, uh, that's a quality flick. It's a good Pixar movie. So We're going to talk football, Matt. You ready? That's right. There's no reason to stop and delay. We're going to talk about Boise State Coaching Church because that's the newsy part of the show. We'll get to the games in a minute. So last time we recorded, it was not known. And then fairly surprising, but not surprising, that Brian Harson, a friend of Rock, is now the head coach of Auburn. Mm-hmm. Like out of one to ten, what was your shock level when you sent that DM or in our? I don't know who sent it first in our group chat, probably you. But was that um, fairly for me? It was like a seven. Yeah, I mean that sounds about right because you know it wasn't like he had made much of a secret of the fact that he wanted something to happen. Um, and and you know maybe it's to his credit that he never clarified whether <laughs> he was speaking about himself or about the program or about you know. The team moving out of the Mountain West or something like that. So now we know. <laughs> now we know a little more about what he meant. If you recall, I made the uh, kind of bold pick. He'd be University of Texas next year. I wasn't too far off that his goal was to actually take a better job because you can't bring Boise State with him. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I thought. I'm like, we're going to Auburn. It's a it's a big deal because I was doing a bunch of reading about the Auburn job, listening to stuff, which we – Fairly familiar. They're a pretty good SEC team. They've been to national title, won some SEC, SEC championships, actually beaten Alabama a couple times. So it's probably do you, would you call that a? I'd call that a top tier SEC job. They, they just bought out Gus Malzahn for twenty million bucks. It's yeah. I mean, because you're talking about a program that I think I forget who put it out there, but they've averaged like eight and five or nine and four over the last um, 
you know, half decade or so. And, you know, like you mentioned, they've beaten Bama a couple times, but the expectations there, I mean, if, if Harson thought they were sky high just being <laughs> at Boise, Boise state, that's nothing compared to being in the sec West where, you know, the, the goal is to be Bama, no matter what kind of program you are elsewhere in, in the state or in that conference, you know, you know, we talk about Boise being kind of the group of five's gold standard. Alabama at this point is just college football's platinum yeah. standard, bar none. Bitcoin, so, come on. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that they they backed up the Brinks truck for Harson in the same way that they did to get rid of Malzahn. But yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds over the next several years. Because yeah, Malzahn beat Alabama three times in eight years, and I think what it was, no other SEC team has beat them more than once. Mm-hmm. An eight-year period, so that's pretty remarkable. Like teams have a win here and there over Bama and Saban, but no, none have multiple wins. Yeah. So there's that. Miles, like I have it right here, he had no losing seasons, which should be expected. But a couple, like eight, five, seven, six. Okay, he went eight, five, went to the Sugar Bowl. Like you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he's had BCS title game year one. He's been top top twenty-five five years, a top ten twice, a couple top fifteens. So like they haven't been bad clearly, but you're right. It's like it's not like. It's also impossible, impossible scenario to live up to, right? It's like, well, you need to come here and be beat Nick Saban's like, well, um, okay, how and what? <laughs> that, if that's your expectation, that's kind of, uh, in my opinion, unrealistic, right? Not for them, apparently. I know. I, be, I don't know. Be, I mean, I mean, I guess you know. I, I think that the expectation is not necessarily to surpass Bama. Or, or, or maybe not for, for most reasonable fans at Auburn. But I think the expectation is to, like, if they can compete for an SEC title, I don't know, once every two years, which I don't know offhand how many times the Tigers were actually in the SEC title game under Malzahn, but it probably wasn't at the level that they were satisfied with, which I think, you know, that may be a, a relatively marginal difference for someone like us on the outside. But... You know, if you're just giving up that division to Bama every single year, I don't think that's satisfactory for them or anybody else in that side of the conference. No, but he beat them basically every other year. Yeah. Like, if you but tell me... Were, but they still weren't competing for SEC titles every year. So what's your goal? Title? I, I, we don't need to talk to much Auburn. Like, what's, your, what's their goal? Titles or beating Alabama? I think it's beating Alabama. I think it's both. Well, that's... Well, good least, luck, good luck least, Coach Harson. At least a little <laughs> more frequently than they were, because I think you can make a case of maybe, yeah... You know, Malzahn beating Bama earned him some goodwill. But again, you know, they had a couple of eight and five seasons, a couple of nine and four seasons. And, you know, maybe it's mm-hmm. a type of program that expects to win at least 10 games every single year. And they won. He won you know, yeah. they, they've been, you know, if you think about it, they were surpassed by LSU. LSU went and won a, a conference, uh, won a national title rather last year out of that same division. Texas A&M was the fifth best team in the country. This year in this truncated weird college football season we're all living in, so I think when you it's so when you kind of widen the scope a little bit, you kind of see what's at stake for a program like Auburn existing in in that division. Like if they aren't necessarily going to be one in that division, I think they need to be better. They want to be better than like the third or fourth best team in most years. Yeah, they went once to the SEC title game because first year when they went to the BCS title game and. Um, I think they lost that game. I forget who, but um, they went to that game. But it's like, here's the thing. Let's get back to Brad Harston and Boise stuff. Like, what? Like, I know their AD is written stuff on Auburn's AD. They don't. He doesn't really have a ton of connections to the uh, 
or not connections, but kind of loyalties or knowing the businessman of the boosters. Like we saw how Fresno State's booster search went, which worked pretty well for Tepford before he stepped down for health issues. Utah State's went dis- disastrously wrong. This mm-hmm. guy's like, I don't owe you guys anything. I'm going to make my own decision. Like of all, all the coaches who got there, I don't know other too many other names are looked into it into that job, but you, it is kind of an out of the box hire for them. Maybe that's what they need because. He's only been out in that part of the country twice. Arkansas State head coach in Texas OC for what three years I want to say, or something like that, mm-hmm. two or three years. So like them going out there, it's like you wonder have to say like this is going to sound like a knock knocking guitar since clearly not, but like what, how high was he on their list, and or how many people said no before they got to him? Because I can't imagine it was more than one or two people though. It just seems like an interesting fit, and maybe it works. It could be perfectly fine, but it just seems like a fit that's little. I don't know. It just seems like it's um, for what you normally see at for jobs for SEC and stuff. When's the last like I don't have this offhand. I have to look. Um, how when's the last time like a big group of five guy has gone to like the SEC? The, was there was the was it? Um, I can't recall, but it's not not too often, right? It's usually another big name to try to lure away from another big time coach or big time school. Jim McElwain. Back when you think it's okay, yeah, there's that. Yeah, CSC, the, last, CSC the Florida, because we talked before, like Colorado State, the Florida, that's a big deal. Urban Meyer, the Florida, but it's not too often. But also, McElwain, wasn't he an SEC coordinator before that? Before that, though, I believe so. And so, but here's the thing: Harson has like literally no ties to that area in the country, so that's going to be interesting to see what he is. That's not my point. I'm not. It's just a unique hire, and I like unique hires. Do you like? I don't like seeing the same guys going back and forth. Like, oh, Texas is going to get Urban Meyer. Texas wants to get Nick Saban. Texas wants to get. Less miles, you know what I mean? They want this or that, so it's a, it'll be something interesting to move. But here's the thing: like going back to those emails that Harson sent out back in September, like I honestly think like if he wasn't going to take Boise with him, which he knew it's a complete long shot. If any of these big time jobs, he's he was going to go because it's not like people will say, "Oh, you're an alumni here, you played here." That is a lot, but if he's getting five to six million bucks a year, that trumps all that, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm going to triple my salary, like we talked last time. Give give you and me 10k more, we'll go somewhere else to have fun and do what that is. But at some point, loyalty—not to say it doesn't mean much—but there's not many guys that will stay there just because. We saw back in the Mountain West with Kyle Whittingham, he had options to go to Tennessee, he said no, or Chris Peterson to USC, said no, or you had Troy Calhoun NFL Colorado job saying no. There's a a little bit there, but. I'm not saying he was dating the Boise State, but it's his job to do or life to live. And he clearly felt he wanted to go to be part of a program or conference that traded football like it was above anything else. And any anything else, not, number two was ten miles behind football, and that's where he ended up at. Yeah. And so, first off, if you can follow him on Twitter, Auburn fans, you're blocked because he blocks everybody. So we'll see how the block camera goes. <laughs> I'm sure he's already – he's going to have an assistant making like 40K a year to handle just that. Can I do that for you, Coach Arson? <laughs> I'll hit the block button for an extra few bucks. So let's go to the Boise State job. Who was your first name that kind of popped up that when this job was open? We know the obvious, but kind of run through a couple of names you're thinking about. Well, I mean, to me, the the obvious fit, and, and we talked about this at length in our kind of our, <laughs> our writer DMs, was Andy Avalos, the, who is currently the defensive coordinator at Oregon, who – as you all know, was the, previously the DC for you know st- for a time at Boise State. Because mm-hmm. I know that everybody's been kind of bandying about Kellen Moore as well, who's currently the Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator on the NFL level. And yeah, I guess I, I you know I get the allure, but I, I but I think in either case, 
what might be more important than the head coach hire for both Davalos and, and Moore, and and maybe less so for some of the other names in the running, which I'm sure we may or may not touch upon in a moment. Whoever's coaching the other side of the ball has a chance to be just as important as a, a hire, because you know if, if Moore is handling the offense, great. Then you just want to make sure that you're you know either keeping one or both of the co-defensive coordinators, Spencer Danielson or Jeff Schmetting. Um, both of whom I think have done a pretty good job overall. Um, or conversely, like if you're bringing in Avalos as a more defensive minded guy, you probably want to make sure that your OC hire is on point. And if that's not Eric Kiesau, then who is it going to be? And so those are obviously the two big names that both the local, you know, beat writers like Matt Prater or Mike Prater, excuse me, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, the national guys like Ian Rappaport, Adam Rittenberg have been, you know, everybody on every level has been talking about. Boise State job and and those two guys in particular. Uh, There's been some conflicting information as to whether they've actually interviewed yet or not. You know, I think the most recent thing I saw was that they want to have the athletic director search done first. Um, But obviously, I think this could develop in a lot of different directions, but it seems like they've already kind of narrowed it down to those two guys more than anybody else. And here's the thing, too, like, Boise, did you know this? Boise State's the only open FBS job at the moment. Mm-hmm. there's no other job out there so there's no there could be some nfl jobs or bowl post bowl game jobs open up and there will be but if you think about it boise's not in a rush because no. kellen moore's finished up the season with cowboys which i think they're being the eagles as we speak fingers crossed but whatever cowboys were terrible this year but and then you have andy avalos who i assume he's getting a ps5 going to the festival so good 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 on him for getting that but he has this bowl game to coach as well so there's not a real rush for the chance of losing a guy they want. So maybe it is those two guys, which seems likely maybe Jeff Choate of Montana State is in the mix. I believe he's right there as well. But there's mm-hmm. no rush to go out and make the hire. So the only thing they can throw a curveball, they get their AD, and AD wants who knows who they want. You know what I mean? Like maybe they don't want Kellamore. Maybe they want Andy Alvos. Maybe they don't want whatever, or they want this, this, or this. So that could, that's the only curveball I could see, but I think they have the time to be patient to make their mm-hmm. choice. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think the the upside is, too, is, you know, I I say that I have concerns about both Avalos and Moore as it relates to the other side of the ball that they don't typically focus upon. But don't take that to mean that I don't think they're both really good options. And I think that that's another thing that Boise State has to their advantage as well is they have time. And I think that both of these guys have proven to some degree that you know, they would they, that they, they are aware of the culture. They know the culture. They should be able to be kind of the face of the program and continue to, to bring in, you know, new recruits over the next several years and things like that. So I don't think either of them are going are gonna to have a problem on that front. I just think, you know, you're going to want to make sure that you're giving them kind of the best staff around them as well, which I think is is another thing that Harson and before him, Chris Peterson, really benefited from all, all those years that they were in charge. They do, and also it's a good job too. You know what I mean? Like they can be patient because there's going to be guys like the list I came up with. Like I believe, if I'm correct, I think everybody on my list I put out there coached at some point at Boise State. I, I was going through some. I'm like some, except for like maybe um, Morgan Scally, who I tossed out there because he'll be a head coach somewhere. I think even Andy Ludwig was like a QB coach at some point there. And so mm-hmm. I put out like a bunch of guys because there's names that we've seen, like even Dirk Cutter, which who knows who'd go back. Because he he's not going to be hanging around the Atlanta Falcons anytime soon since they fired um, whoever their coach was before I forget um, doesn't matter Dan Quinn but point being it's a good job I think it's those two guys but let's just say it is those two guys we've had back and forth in our DMs a ton about oh who's this who's that 
I contend people uh, the PR victory would be Kellen Moore by miles mm-hmm. because what I believe he still is. It's him. Or, I think he surpassed Colt McCoy as what the all-time winningest quarterback in number of wins. Mm-hmm. He clearly the Fiesta Bowl. Clearly, what he did. Top ten finishes were very close. Had they beaten Boy- or beaten Nevada, they could have been maybe in that BCS conversation back in the day. <laughs> like that was him, right? Was that Colin Moore as well? Yeah, uh, yeah, I believe yeah, so. Yeah. I think it's Zabransky before, but yeah, he went to. They played plenty of good games. Like he won so many games in the WAC. I made the comparison, which people here maybe may realize or not, but like. I made the comparison of it's different trajectory, but I can still see it possibly being similar. Well, first off, coaching NFL is way different than college. He's on a Cowboys team where he'd still be the like if he doesn't get the job, I could still easily see him being the Cowboys OC for at least two more years because Mark, Mark Mike McCarthy's not going anywhere, and Cowboys had so many injuries to Dak Prescott, Andy Dalton playing a undraft a non draft seventh round quarterback like Zeke Elliott's not playing great. The defense is garbage, and so they're not going to overhaul the staff. I could see him being there still another year or two because when they're healthy and he's calling the plays, it does a good thing. But that's different than coaching college football where you have to recruit kids. You have to smooth the parents. You have to talk to boosters, give hugs and kiss babies, do all that type of stuff instead of just coaching football. Maybe he's great at it. I don't know. But that's a concern I would have. For It's like you want to take guys who coach NFL only oh, be great in the college just because they coach pros. Or Chip Kelly, reverse, fa- reverse way. Never been in the NFL locker room. Way different than college. Like, that would be the biggest home run because they would love it. People would sign up. They'd go buy tickets. They'd love him coming back. He'd have a ton of leeway. And so, but I don't, I just, but my comparison I was going to make is that with the University of Utah had Brian Johnson as a quarterback. He played with Alex Smith at the Fiesta Bowl and then also at the Sugar Bowl and beat Alabama. He basically called the plays, amazing quarterback, winning games, doing all sorts of great things. And then Utah makes him not even a grad assistant, but. Basically, QB coach and OC in two years into Pac-12, Matt. It's a big ask. And he basically crapped the bed. That's not not his fault because look look at the, how big it is. You know what I mean? Like the jump. Like he was never a GA. I think I think they had Norm Chow was still there, or maybe it was Dennis Erickson. I forget, but that's a huge jump. He's now bounced around. He went to Houston, sources of stuff. Now he's the OC at Florida, and they're doing. Look, he's doing Kyle Trask and uh, what Kyle Pitt, Pitts, those guys out there, tight end QB, really good things he's doing there. And so it's just a huge jump, and the progression may not be there for more. That's the biggest concern I would have here to hire. And people would love it. He would get a favorable salary. He would have plenty of time. They don't want to kick the guy out who's the best quarterback, best player ever in school history, essentially, to say, sorry, you don't do it in four years. You only went to one – even if he does reasonably well, one Mountain West title and wins – 39 games in four years, they still not may, maybe not think it's enough. Because mm-hmm. that's that's an issue they can get to as well, where their success, because clearly, I'm dominating, sorry, dominating here, but Matt, you hop in, but the winning total has gone down a bit from the WAC, but competition has risen up. So that's a concern as well. If the next coach comes in and does just five percentage points fewer, like instead of them winning 80% of the games, or seven, I'm just throwing out numbers, like two percentage points lower from 82 to 80 or 80 to 78, that could be an issue of because we already know fan bases think it should be conference champion or New Year's six or bust every single year. Well, and one of the other big questions that we don't really know the answer to is how much is Jerry Jones going to value Kellen Moore? That because it? I think one advantage that the Cowboys have over Boise State at this point is money. Lots of money. Lots of money. Like because you know, and because not only because COVID, I think is have is going to have an effect on everybody, and we probably haven't even begun to grapple with, 
you know, sports is standing overall in, in particularly in group of five schools. Like just for example, I know that Fresno state is facing like a 13, $14 million shortfall mm-hmm. uh, in the upcoming academic year um, that they're going to have to contend with one another. And I have to, imagine that athletics is going to take at least some of that hit along with everything else. And I don't think Boise or anybody else in the mountain West is really going to be immune to that. And when you compare that to a professional franchise run by a multi-billionaire, you know, Boise state might be able to offer more envelope more $2 million. And, you know, if Jerry Jones wants to, he could probably offer him more money especially if he sees him as kind of like an heir apparent to the job in the same way that he did uh, Jason Garrett. Hold on. Time. You say probably? Probably. <laughs> Boise... Because, it's, because Moore's, Moore's contract is up with the Cowboys after this year, is it not? I'm looking up looking up right now. I'm trying to see. Because I thought I read sure. something about that where, you know, he has a lot of leverage as a result for, for asking for a big raise. And so that might be something that, you know, if Jones feels so inclined because – you know, he sees more in his, you know, what what he's done when the team is at its best as being kind of integral to the future of the mm-hmm. franchise, then he could pony up in a way that Boise State or no or anybody else in college football may not be able to. Boise State's probably gonna have to pay they're playing Harston about one point eight. I'm mm-hmm. betting whoever's new coach is would be about one point three. Because you're a good program, you expect to pay well. No, no, you, no, no. no. I think they're going to have to give him more than that because especially no, I mean, they, I mean, in general, especially if they got one eye on the American. Well, I, I don't. Do, but do they? Giving, they're going to start giving their head coaches American money, and those guys are making two and a half, three million dollars over there. But do they really have an eye in there? Is America here? This is the conversation we get to. But I'm just saying what if the, talk about funding and what they have. I'm I'm saying like baseline, like they're a good program because when you bring a new head coach in, your odds are unless you get a home run, you're not paying a guy more than the previous guy. Well, I guess no, no, I think they're going to have to if they want to bring in more. Well, I agree. I'm just saying in general, like for a good coach. But you're right. Like I don't know. They may have an eye in the American. They probably do. But with a new AD, new coach, it may not be a priority. Priority right now is stabilizing your athletic staff and getting money. And that's another conversation for another day. But maybe you're right. But like they don't have the money to pay guys. I don't think. Who's their most famous booster? Come in and write a check for them to help them out. That's a good question. It's Colin Moore, right? See the most battled. I'm just kidding. But I'm just, I have no idea. <laughs> but I, it's maybe right. If they have an eye on the American, maybe they'll pay. If they're going to pay that, then they'll have to. Uh, they could. I don't know if they. I don't. I'm trying to look at his salary, but it looks like he did. Obviously, did or not obvious, but reports are saying he uh, interviewed. But I can't find his contract. All I keep finding contract details. Even when I looked earlier today, was just his like practice squad NFL contract. Mm-hmm. But what, so we talk about Andy Alvarez. Like he's back to back Pac-12 champ coach with Oregon. He's a defense side of the ball. Like, talent's not the issue for Boise State. They'll have talent there. They're not going to lose too many guys coming in. I, th- For me, I, I think there's a high ri- higher c- risk and higher reward bringing in Kellen Moore. Because I think I'd agree with that. There's more time. Like I said before, they'll give him many years, or uh, adequate years, maybe more than normal. I don't see anything, too. I'm sounding like, oh, if a coach comes in, he'll fail. I don't. It's, it's going to be hard to screw this up. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult for the talent they brought in, guys they have. If they keep an assistance or just a culture, they're not going to have a guy who come in and they're not going to fall on the flat in their face and go seven and five for three straight years. I don't see that mm-hmm. being the case. Once, maybe, but even that's a stretch because like their worst year is probably eight wins, I think. So, yeah. but Avalos has done the coach. He's been there before as a coach. 
He's been a DC in the Pac-12. He's been out West. Like, Kellen Moore's never recruited before. That's a big part of the job. People don't realize. Oh, just because you coach NFL guys, you can pick and choose NFL talent as much as you want. You can pay guys whatever you want to come here. Mm-hmm. You can't do that in college. Dude, are these are there any other people we need to discuss for the job? Like, Jeff Choate's been brought up a bit, the Montana State head coach. Do you think he's a serious candidate? I mean, he's probably, like, 1B, <laughs> I would imagine. He's probably not the front-runner choice, but... You know, he might be the kind of safe choice among the three. You think he's more safe than Andy Avalos? I mean, I think they're both about the same, to be honest. I think there's too many questions with Kellen Moore. And again, I could be 100% wrong. Like, we were wrong with the Jeff Tedford hired, right? We were completely mm. wrong on that. And I think they're enamored with what he's done before. So, like, what? here's some other names I put up here. And also, we should mention Chris Peterson's kind of involved with the hiring process. Not obviously going to be the coach, but he's uh, kind of in there t- chatting about it. So here's a couple of guys. You can just give me a quick yes or no, or say maybe. Like I put in Mike Sanford Jr. And yeah. He, eh, I think he's always looking for the – has his eye on the next job, as we've seen the past couple of years. Um, Bo Baldwin, you mentioned to me, Cal Poly head coach, but has not coached the game for Cal Poly yet. <laughs> that doesn't seem likely. No, like, okay. Morgan Scala, Utah defensive coordinator. No? I mean, interesting, but maybe not as interesting as Avalos. Okay. Dirt cutters we mentioned before. No. No. Lan- I put in a huge wild card. Lance Leopold of Buffalo. I don't think he's going to make a jump to anything but a Power 5 job. Okay. That's fair. Um, I I saw this from Bruce Feldman, which we, I don't know too much about him, but Gerald Alexander, Miami Dolphins, defensive back coach, seems a bit too – even a much bigger jump than Cullen Moore. True, but also that, that Dolphins defense yeah. is doing a lot with a lot of no-names this year. It is. I, I just think like I was reading through his comments like – he probably could be there, but he probably needs to be at least a coordinator first because that seems like mm-hmm. just a jump. Uh, I put Jay Hill, Weber State head coach. Offense has gone from zero to national championship contender. So there's that. Regional guy. Uh, no, I'm guessing that's a no by your silence. Jeff Grimes, BYOC, was at Boise State for a year. LSU, Virginia Tech, Auburn, Colorado. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I put Andy Ludwig, who, who no. I, st- I still have shivers of him beating Utah's OC now. They're doing well. <laughs> I feel like it's just kind of the habit to put him into every job that opens in the West. It is. My thing about him, I'll just make it quick. There's a re- There's got to be a reason he's never been a head coach. He's been San Diego State. He's been to Vanderbilt. He's been, was he at Cal for a year, I think? He's been everywhere and has always been, eh, just fine. Um, and that's about all I got. So anything else? On the co- Who do you think the coach will be? Is it going to be Andy Avalos? If it were my choice, I would probably choose Avalos. I would but have, like ooh. I said, I wouldn't begrudge them if they ultimately ended up with Moore or Choate or someone else. I would put here's the it depends what you want. I would say Avalos because if he's the, he's the well Choate's a head coach, but mm, I put Avalos at top list because of him being there and, and being there during success and having coaching experience. I'll probably put Choate number two just because he's actually been a college coach. And again, maybe I'm maybe I'm undervaluing being an NFL coordinator, but you mentioned the things Jerry Jones want to pay him money. Because he's done good when talent's there. Offense has been great. He can outspend Boise State. Uh, and it's and again, the experience of a college coach is not there for him. And that's kind of a huge red flag. It's it's not as big as like um, Tony Sanchez going from high school to college, but it's just a completely different type of job. Yeah. You're not you're not just coaching football when you're a college football head coach. That's true. You gotta follow kids and pester them to get to class sometimes, right? Yes. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Bull time. We ready? Time to move on. Let's do it. All right. So first game. We have two games. As I mentioned, 2-0 and versus the American. It, are we? I think the Mount was brought sweet. Are they 5-0 and in bowl games versus the American They conference? are. I thought the American was good. What, what's going on? If you've been paying attention to our Twitter feed over the last few years, you would know that we make fun of them every time they lose more bowl games than they win. And they also got crushed by BYU, UCF, whose offense apparently was unstoppable and got stopped in the tracks. Mm-hmm. I still think they scored 20-something points, but they got routed in that game. So the first game, which, man, I guess you're glad to be wrong with Nevada beating Tulane. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I with, and I think both of these seeing things when we talked about it originally, you know, we made some mention of guys who weren't going to be available for the game, and then you know, as it got closer it, for both of these teams, it seemed like they were missing more people, uh, mm-hmm. both Tulane and Houston, than I think either of us originally anticipated. So that I think had more of an effect on how things unfolded than I anticipated it would. Because it wasn't like Nevada wasn't missing guys as well. Like, obviously, Dom Peterson didn't play at all in this yeah, game. It's a big deal. But they they played hard even without him. They produced on both sides of the ball, you know, and you, Tulane, with their, especially with their stars on the defensive front, just didn't have an answer for Nevada on offense and basically just couldn't keep the defensive line out of the backfield on, de- on defense. This game, I can sum up to a couple of words. Interceptions. Trick plays and attacking Pratt, the quarterback. Eight sacks, Matt. Oh, yeah. Eight sacks. I remember during the games, I rewatched it again this morning because it seems like two weeks ago with Christmas and everything. I kind of blasted him. Like, he like he was terrible. He ended up three picks, 12 for 25. And also, here's the thing. Tulane even had chances to win for how well Nevada booked in this game. Essentially, like, that first half was great. Um, about midway through the second quarter and all the third quarter wasn't ideal. They kind of because Nevada's had stumbles like versus Utah State in the first half, New Mexico. They've had some stumbles here and there, but like hmm. they drove down to the one yard line, got stuffed. There's an interception and scored again. Tulane made some, did some decent stuff early on, and they still only lost by eleven. But it wasn't really that close because they had the late touchdown where it made it from thirty eight twenty. And I guess win to be in there too. Matt a lot of win, a lot of missed field goals. And Brandon Halton was not happy with himself for missing some. Um, well, to be fair, it was a really windy oh, day as yeah. well in Boise. So, again, I kind of grade him on the curve with that. I did, but he seemed like he should never miss that. He was two extra points missed. The field goal, he's just throwing his helmet around. But, like, this game was <coughs> has the Okay, I, I know we've watched about a decent amount, but how many, like, the, that pass back reverse play? They've done nothing like that all year. Am I correct on that? I don't that think, oh, you talking about the, the reverse? The reverse and the pass, like, right? The reverse flea flicker or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Well, it's wild. That was a beautiful, that was a pretty play design. It was amazing. It worked extremely well. The also Toatala, where's his stiff arm been all year, man? You're knocking people over. You're just shoving them to the ground. Where was this six weeks ago? Four weeks ago? Like he has some power, man. Just he's throwing guys like ragdolls out to the side with his uh, those huge runs. Him and Dante Lee, like this defense could have been a touch better, but like who cares? They had three three picks, eight sacks. Like I'm nitpicking when they still scored 27 points. Like this game. Seemed not as close as the final score indicated. With Nevada no. get, getting up to a big lead, it got. It seemed to me like the Boise Hawaii game, where Boise is a big Hawaii, kind of made it close. 
Well, yeah, because it, and it was really on offense for Nevada, a, a story of big plays all over oh, yeah. the place. You know, you mentioned the three, the three interceptions that they forced on defense. But, you know, on offense, Carson Strong had five touchdowns. But, you know, mm-hmm. more to the point, like he had eight plays of, of over 15 yards that totaled essentially 200 yards through the air. And, you know, that included the, the flea flicker pass. It included, I think, one, two, three, three of his touchdown passes, including the last one to Jamal Bell. They basically just, Tulane, rather, did not have an answer for Nevada's passing game. Once they realized they couldn't get pressure on him, he was basically able to pick them apart. Yeah, he did. It's weird, too. Like, his stat line's 22-28, five TDs, only two, all, I say only 271 for strong. Part of it was to win because it's hard to go downfield, even though they did, they did a little bit. Like that flea flicker was long pass, but they weren't necessarily attacking deep all the time. Mm-hmm. Like they made decent plays, and the guys who caught the ball and after pass yards after the catch, they were making big plays, like short shorter passes. Like Cole Turner had two touchdowns. They um they just played well. Dubs did fine, five of forty two. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was good. I'm pretty sure by passer rating that he set the Mountain West record for highest passer rating in a bowl game. I'll have to look that up. What was because I, I put because I put it out on Twitter, and I think you know there were three quarterbacks in the twenty year history of the Mountain West to to have at least ten passes and a passer rating above two hundred. Most recently that I can recall is Arian Worthman uh, a few years ago in their bowl game. I believe it was against South Alabama, but you know all three of the guys in that conversation were just like they were barely over ten pass attempts. Yeah, option guys. Yeah, so, well, no, actually. Well, Aaron, worth One of them, one of them I think, was an injury replacement. Mm, okay. And one of the, I forget the, I forget the exact list. I, it's I, okay. If you want to look it up on Twitter, you can. But, yeah, there was no doubt that just Strong was the best player on the field in this game. And that's really saying something when you're looking at it. You know, what, six different receivers had at least one 20-yard catch. Mm-hmm. And both running backs went over 100 yards while averaging five yards a carry. And as you mentioned, the defense had eight sacks, and, and three players had two sacks apiece. So this game was fun to watch. Like, so is there anything else to add? Like, they just shut down Tulane. We knew the running game would be fine for Tulane because Carroll had a hundred, did really well, but half of his yards came one play. Cameron Carroll had the mm-hmm. ten four and twenty to sixty five yarder. Like Tulane just kind of seemed to stumble. Like they're both neither team did well in third down, um, fourth down. Nevada got stuffed. Um, but I do like how they went for on fourth down a lot, partially because the wind was in play. So I do like going on fourth down. That made things interesting with both teams doing quite well. Um, penalties still crushed Nevada this game, ten for a hundred yards. It's like, well, um, to be to also let's let's not put that in a little bit of context too. One of those was for uh, the the fry bath that they gave Gene Norville yeah. on the stretch. Was that because? Although how, how, although how mad do you think he was afterwards that they gave up in a, t- a touchdown immediately after that? I'd say a little bit. Or do you think, or do you think you could forgive them because they were going to win the game anyway? Probably in the moment, dang touchdown! But like, who cares? We won. One of those things. It's like, ah, oh, come on, yeah. guys! It's one of those things. Like, ah, oh, they scored, sucks. But who cares? We won the game. It didn't cost us the game. Yeah, you had the fry bath. You had yeah. This game, like, it was fun to watch. Like, Nevada never seemed to be an issue in this game with the way they were ahead. What twenty? Was it twenty to nineteen to zero? Yeah, they're nineteen to zero. And then it kind of went back and forth, essentially. Thinking about Twain closed the gap a touch, but never seemed to be a doubt when they're up 26-7 to at halftime. Mm-hmm. It was just a good old game. Was This is one of the better games they played all year. It was. So, 
know, know what good thing is about a few coaching jobs opening? Odds of Jane Norvell leaving because there's talk of him going to like Vanderbilt and other job openings. He's probably not going anywhere. I guess the biggest concern is who's going to go to the NFL from this team for next year. Because I made my bold pick. If they bring majority of the people back or if they bring everybody back, this should be their front runner for New Year's Six team next year. It's definitely going to be really interesting to follow because I think more some of the more of the obvious names are going to be on the offensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be really interested to see who comes back on defense because Peterson could be a guy that makes the jump. You know, Lawson Hall, who mm-hmm. led the team in tackles, he was one of those three guys with two sacks. You know, he I think is a senior. You know, he might be back. He might not. Um, EJ Muhammad is another one of those guys. Um, so, I mean, it, because it's not like, you know, under normal circumstances, you'd be looking at the defense and saying, well, they might have to reload a fair bit. So even though the offense might be back intact, you might be looking at a little bit of a different dynamic as far as a team that might have to win a lot of shootouts next year. Mm-hmm. But if some of those defensive pieces come back for one more go, that changes the story a lot. Yeah, because I would say an offense, Dubs is gone. That makes sense. There's no reason for him to come back. Unless he wants to break Nate Pearson, Pearson, what's his name? Nate, what's it? Um, oh, shoot. Burleson. Burleson, yeah, the guy, yeah, NFL Network, whatever. Bray well, not to... only is he, not only, I mean, he's only a junior, so it, he might come back. And, and Elijah Cooks, who missed the year with injury, mm-hmm. could also be back. I know, but I, it, we'll see. And they got Cole Turner, like nine touchdowns as a tight end, or I guess 11, including the two bowl games, and what, eight games as a tight end. Like, I could see those guys moving on. Mm-hmm. But they have running backs. If Cooks returns, like you said, Strong's not. I don't think Strong's going anywhere. Like running games should be better with a Tao to every one more year, and Dante Lee is, uh, I believe, a junior as well at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I think the defense is more of a concern. But let's just say, if even if Dubs and Turner go, I think they'll be okay with like you mentioned Cooks and then the running game there. And as strong for how good he is, I'm not gonna say it's not gonna matter who the receivers are, but you have a leg up when you have a really good quarterback. Well, yeah, and I think you know. The offensive line might be replacing a few pieces as well, like Nate Brown, Nate Edwards, and Tyler Orsini. That's in Jermaine Ledbetter. Those are the four guys who were contributing all season long. All four of those guys are seniors as well. So you might be looking at a completely kind of new look offensive line too. Which, depending on how they, whoever you know, whoever moves on, whoever decides to come back, how they gel together could make or break how effective the offense is next year. But that's something else to keep an eye on, too. Like, we don't necessarily talk about the offensive line, but, you know, for a team like this, for you know, any successful team, an offensive line is definitely really integral to that. A strong like, unit up front. It definitely is. And this year, it's, um, we'll see what go, we'll see, see what goes in next year and all that stuff. Like, this is a year where we both felt Nevada would take the next step because it's the first year they've had, like, I know Strong started majority of the games last year, but there's no threat of him not being the quarterback as there was last year at times. Early on, they're switching around. Like, this is Nevada's best year. Oh, I got shoot, I look up sports reference, of course, basketball. Since bas- 2010. Yeah, just as I was say, I'm like, I, I pull up sports reference. I'm like, wait, basketball? What is this, two years ago? I'm like, no, they weren't a top 10 team or whatever. So this is a team where, like, the, the, the most important thing is they're going to keep their coach. I don't see Norville going anywhere. Like, there could be a job or two here open up because of, like, maybe if Harbaugh doesn't last around or he goes to NFL or something. But... He's going to be retained most likely because most teams aren't going to need a new coach. Because mm-hmm. I think most teams are going to be, like you mentioned earlier, but the Harson conversation, money is an issue. And not many schools like are going to be like Auburn and want to pay out millions upon millions or what, 10 or 11 figure type, I mean, whatever 20 million decimal, <laughs> 20 million plus dollars is. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do it. So next year looks good, even if they lose a couple of guys. So 
You ready for the next game? The New Year's Eve, or excuse me, Christmas Eve Hawaii versus Houston game. Let's do it, Matt. You're running again. Twenty eight fourteen Hawaii wins. Got to be tough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna be mad about it. I, no. <laughs> I might be wrong. Uh you know what I hate on Twitter. So I put on, so there's a lot of things on Twitter to not like at the most for most of it. There's some bad stuff, but so I put on Twitter like on our account like. The basic because remember Hawaii was a thirteen and a half point favorite, and Houston we, or no? Oh, geez, sorry. My point is going to be out the window for me misspeaking. Houston was a huge favorite, nearly two touchdowns. So when it's fourteen to zero, it's like half kidding. Hey, what does Vegas know? And you get the smart actual. Well, they decide the point spread to put money in either side. I'm like, first off, duh. Second, they're still miles apart. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like if that's ridiculous. I hate those guys. Like, well, technically, here's why the point spread is this. I'm like. It's, it's, that just annoys me when they're trying to back those guys who completely royally screwed up and missed a game. But uh, this game, you know, was very interesting. What I liked about it, Matt, the most, the most thing I liked about the game, Shavon Cordier was not the leading rusher. Despite his long yardage, yardage did not com- equate to his total yards of 52 long run and 33 total yards rushing. Well, that's because Calvin Turner was too busy doing Everything I know, and he got sacked five times too, Cordero as well. Or uh-huh. no, no, not five times, on two times. Sorry, he got hurried a bunch. Sorry, but like, yeah, it's just a funny thing to see because it's always can we have a different running back or runner have more yards than your quarterback in Turner, who we all love, had a good game. I mean, I think what you saw in this game was kind of the best possible version of what they want this Todd Graham team to look like because you know the offense was. You know, it, it, they didn't necessarily light up the scoreboard, yeah. but, you know, they were efficient. They took advantage of their opportunities. And I think, you know, to me, the biggest story of the game was what they did to the Cougars on defense. You know, we talk about, you know, how Nevada had like eight sacks, but I think overall I was more impressed by what Hawaii did by racking up five sacks, nine tackles for loss. And yeah, Houston was doing it probably without their best receiver, Marquez Stevenson. But I thought that the Cougars would present more of a challenge to you know a Hawaii defense that especially when it came to defending the run had they you know been pushed around here and there and you know credit to the Warriors defense credit to coordinator Victor Shanna Cruz they stepped up they responded you know they held Mobile Carter and Kyle Porter to essentially you know a shade over three yards per carry that's mm-hmm. a huge win for them was. they forced three Clayton tune interceptions also a huge win and a lot of that had to do with the fact that the, the linebacker went off in this game. Darius Muasau, nine tackles and a sack and an interception and three quarterback hits. Jeremiah Pritchard had two sacks and three TFLs. Corey Bethley, who's kind of that safety linebacker hybrid guy. You know, he he's one of those guys that we probably haven't talked enough about no. this year on the tack- podcast. 14 tackles, two sacks, three TFLs. Everywhere. So they were they were disruptive in a way that we hadn't seen maybe as often as we would have hoped. But, you know, it's an, all three of those guys. Well, actually, Pritchard might be moving on. I think he's a senior. But a lot of those other guys who stepped up and had big games for them, all those guys are going to be back next year. And that's really kind of the backbone, I think, of what they want this team to be going into 2021 and beyond so Pritch- you know, a team that a team that can win on defense and win by being balanced on offense. So that's what you think Todd Graham wants to be more balanced with a good defense. Yeah, because, and, and I think, you know, what we kind of expected was more track meets than we kind of got from the Warriors this year, but I don't think they're going to mind if, they, especially if they're, you know, taking advantage of opportunities that the defense is giving them. And to me, that's one of the big stories of this game 
where not only did Hawaii own a massive field position advantage kind of throughout the game, but they turned those three turnovers into 14 points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and granted, you know, Calvin Turner had the big kickoff return for a touchdown to really kind of put the exclamation point on the whole thing. But without that, you know, you're looking at a, a game that was, that might've been much closer than it ultimately was. Yeah. And two so halves. Think, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a credit to, to Graham and to everybody there where, you know, they took advantage of the opportunities that they had. And even though, you know, Houston's defense was able to make some stops here and there of their own, that it didn't necessarily derail what Hawaii wanted to do overall. Not quite. The big part of the game, like it was first half, like Hawaii's up 21-0. And like, oh, they got this cr- covered easily. But then Houston comes back. You're, you're right. Their defense step, steps back around. They force Hawaii to do multiple few, like punts, essentially, like a couple three and outs. During that first half, they missed a field goal off that other pick the Houston or Houston threw, but like mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, no points. Both defense came up big, and probably one of the bigger plays of the game was the shutting down. It was late in the game too, which who knows if they got onside kick or not. But the fourth down play, fourth and six, where they had to um, the loss of fourteen yards. You know what I mean? Yeah, the, the big old the huge sack by Bethley to basically excellent. You have the kick return or punt return for the touchdown, but that sack right there, who knows if they had scored and how quickly it would have been because. There was only about three minutes left in the game, but that would have made it a one-score game. They clearly probably would have done an onside kick at that point, but they came up big when needed. They started off huge, a big lead, and the offense just kind of sputtered because she had, like the offense wasn't amazing in this game, right? Like Cordero only had 136 yards rushing. Calvin Turner had only six, only 60 yards, like on rushing, I should say. Like the offense. I would expect, like, that's what I was asking you about, like, this is what Todd Graham wants. I think he'd want more offensive production in this game than he did. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think A little wrong. bit. A little bit more. Some, and some of that had to do with the fact that, um, you know, even though the Warriors outgained the Cougars on a per-play basis, the Cougars ran a lot of plays in this game, just in, mm-hmm. in total. Like, they ran 81 plays, and Hawaii only ran 57. So I think that's why you kind of get that feeling. But, you know, I think if, if you were you know, wanting a little more explosiveness, I think, in the Hawaii attack, I wouldn't blame you. But overall, I think that, you know, they didn't make any killer mistakes in the same way that Houston did. You know, they didn't turn the ball over. Um, and sure. I think that that, that probably to Graham and everybody mm-hmm. else on the staff is what's more important. Yeah. I would say third down as well. 4-14 isn't good. But yeah. the three picks, it was what not saved him, but helped them win the game. Because, like, mm-hmm. Cordero's, we seen him be better, but he still threw three touchdown passes. Like, yeah. Turner was the player of the game just about for this team. The, the two touchdowns had, what, 200, 255 total yards, all scrimmage yards returning and pass receiving and catching the ball. Defense was amazing. Like, Bethley had that huge sack. Like, maybe it's a number of play things, but... I would just, for him to be like, say, a perfect game, which this wasn't clear perfect at all, he would probably want to have maybe another 100, if possible, because the play thing's an issue, but like, have maybe get your QB at least 200 yards, maybe an 85-yard rusher. But Mm -hmm. like, that's like nitpicking here when they still won by two touchdowns and had a three-touchdown lead in the first half. Yeah. And against the Houston team, who we talked about before, where their schedule, excuse me, the record was not was three and four, but like, they every team they played was like the best team they possibly could have played. Mm-hmm. Like Tulane was pretty good. We saw them. They lost to BYU, played them well for about 35 minutes. They lost to UCF. They lost to Cincinnati, like the, in Memphis. Like the teams also were really good. Yeah. And so, like this team, it was a pretty good team. And I'd still baffle me as well. They're almost a two touchdown favorite. But Hawaii is a team now where we used to say, like, but what last year, not as much, but a couple years before, defense has been an issue. 
this could be like we're looking for like if defense like Bethley is a senior. If most of those defenders come back, Cordero is going to come back. They um, who knows if, what Calvin Turner will do because he technically could come back. I'm betting. I would think he would because remember he came from what not Jacksonville State, Jackson State, but Jacksonville like non scholarship FCS football. Mm-hmm. Like you give him one more year, he basically is the offensive version of what Avery Williams does for Boise State. A really good return guy and a versatile guy who can do a lot of different things, but he's just an offense. Yeah. And I think he would want to come back because I I think he seriously has pro potential for what he showed the latter, whatever the second half of the nine game season is. Like the, once he got to about four games in, we could see him getting the ball, running, receiving, catching. He could do a lot of good things when he, when he touched the ball. So I bet if he comes back, like they're like going forward, like Jared Smart's going to be gone. I, I think this team, year two, Todd Graham actually getting to coach his guys and having spring practice. Like I could see them taking like a Nevada type jump next year from the, from eighteen or from nineteen to twenty. I could see them being that type of improvement. Yeah, I mean, this is why I mean I, I envisioned something different from this team this year, but I think this kind of performance is why I was bullish on them to begin with when we kind of restarted mm-hmm. the season. And yeah, I'm with you. I kind of I remain optimistic about their chances to be really competitive next year and be a factor in the in the race to the top. It, yeah, this is a funny year for a while. Like they were up and down, but they I liked what they saw. Like Cordero had huge games passing, and this game it's kind of it's good to see Hawaii, a team who even historically going back to, like to Timmy Chang and stuff and Colt Brandon, like they were just throw 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 throw, and they they don't win this game only on defense, but the defense was a major factor more so than offense to why they won game that special mm-hmm. team. It wasn't because their offense they won this game. Yeah. And you'll see that we have bull season. We have one more game. Talk about anything else about this particular game. Anything else we need to get to we missed? I think we are pretty much all set. Oh, good. 47 minutes. We made it under an hour. Good job for two games and a coaching search talk. All right, folks. We, uh, we'll be back. We're actually going to hit pause and record the next bit in a moment here. But we'll be back. MWR.com um, to check out everything we write about. We had a pretty cool story for Larry Nance Jr., former hoops guy, doing good things in Cleveland there. So check that out. Bull stuff coming up. We'll have some interesting offseason stuff down the road. But... We'll be back next time, and um, one more game, Matt. Just one more game to talk about.